music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. Rock and roll ain't noise pollution. In fact, it's far from that. It's something special that transcends boundaries and barriers. Whether they be what age you are, what race you happen to be, what your upbringing may have been, where you grew up or where you're located now, what language you speak, and so much more. It has always had its detractors and its defamers, but rock and roll ain't gonna die. Whether it's through the earbuds of a young kid's phone while listening to Spotify, the sweet sound and grooves of a vinyl record, or through the drive and passion of a musician as they translate that soul through their instrument and their craft live. Rock and roll, it will survive. Its spirit lives on and brings many people together as it passes from generation to generation. It evolves while still paying tribute to those who shared their gift with others while they still had the opportunity to do so. No matter how bright the flames of rock and roll burn, they will continue to live on in the hearts of its fans forever. Aviator Shades is one of those bands that carries the flame of rock and roll, very very strongly and passionately. With a sound that has elements of classic rock like Thin Lizzy and Deep Purple, while incorporating the newer rock sound of bands like Airborne and Monster Truck, the band has found themselves a very solid sound. The idea of Aviator Shades started back in Ireland with lead singer and bassist Dave Gorman and eventually found itself moving to the Canadian West Coast, where the band has grown and, with a bit of work, has found itself a solid core. With a few tours under their belt and playing with the likes of April Wine, Judas Priest, Hailstorm, Danko Jones, and Whitesnake, the band is growing quickly. In 2017, they released their second EP, this is what we do, which saw them work with Danny Craig of Default for the second time, as well as legendary producer Mike Fraser, who has worked with various famed acts like ACDC, The Cult, Metallica, and Aerosmith, just to name a few. Working with such a high level of talent in the studio has not only challenged Aviator Shades, but has made them evolve into stronger songwriters and musicians, while sort of receiving a blessing from someone who has worked with a lot of storied rock and roll acts. Welcome to episode 13 of the Desert Tiger Podcast, and I am your host, Colton Geschwanner. Thank you for tuning in today. Whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, Castify, wherever you're listening from or whatever you're listening on. We're happy to have you, and we hope that you subscribe, rate, and review the show. If you are somebody who already has done one or all of those things, thank you so much for helping out the Desert Tiger podcast. It means a ton to us, and we couldn't thank you enough. As you know, before we start every interview, we like to play a little bit of music for you. And today we're going to play a song by Aviator Shades to kick things off. Something with a little bit of energy. Something with a little bit of passion. Something with a little bit of fire to get things rolling in the right direction. Today we're going to start things off with a song entitled Burn It Down.
Desert Tiger Podcast. All right, we're here with the members of Aviator Shades. Do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves and what you do in the band, please? Sure. I'm Dave Gorman, lead vocals and bass guitar. Uh, Spencer Tomlinson, lead drums and backup vocals. I know there was lead drums, but uh, George Baker, <laughs> lead guitar, backup vocals. Daniel James, lead guitar, backup vocals. <laughs> Okay, so you guys have a hidden drummer somewhere? Your backup <laughs> yeah. drummer? Yeah, the rhythm drummer. <laughs> so one that plays on time. Well, everybody else has lead in their title, so I, I figured I'd throw it in there too. Well, fair enough. Spencer's <laughs> really good at the roles. We just got to get someone in just to keep a solid, solid beat behind them. Yeah. Usually yeah. just a drum machine. It's the two drum kits that fill the trailer up. That's why we have to like keep upgrading our, you know, our tour rig. Yeah, exactly right. That's why it's expensive. It's just all that damn space yeah all mm. that damn space and everyone shows up to see the drummer anyway so you gotta <laughs> you gotta accommodate well, that and I definitely I definitely make up for all my playing abilities through my drum set and make, make the drum set bigger so that it, you know <laughs> Basically, if there's a bigger kit to look at they mightn't listen as hard when yeah. Spencer plays that exactly. what you yeah yeah <laughs> Most no. people only get as small as a six-inch tom, and even then, that's a boldly small size. Spencer's got a three. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try and find one of those. Just really pushing it there, right? Absolutely. All right, so were you guys in other bands before you guys made Aviator Shades? Or, like, how did you guys end up meeting each other? Like, well, how did it become a thing? I guess it goes back to me. I moved from Ireland in uh, 2010. Yeah. You know, with a, a dream of making a band over here because there wasn't really much of a an outlet for classic rock. I guess or making a classic rock band at home in Ireland. So yeah, I played in bands in Ireland for sure. But then yeah, moved here and threw some ads up on Craigslist and mm -hmm. with a vision and a few demos and eventually found these bums to uh, to put a full band together. I mean, it took a while. There's been some changes through the years, but you know individual members coming and going but mm -hmm. yeah we found found Spencer actually at a show when we, the band George was in the band and we had another guitar player and drummer you know one of the original lineups when you're getting things going yeah and the drummer wasn't going to stick around he knew it wasn't for him which was fair you know it's not for everyone but uh, we went to play a show it was our first road show and who's there on drums only big blonde sexy here <laughs> we, yeah. we were like how great would the band be with this guy in it? you know him and a fan and yeah, yeah yeah and me and george met on craigslist and well, daniel i'd seen play in a, a led zeppelin tribute band and that was enough to know this guy's pretty good i <laughs> didn't know that he fits the card right there right mm -hmm. but that's my story anyway of meeting these guys everyone else has their own it's fate yeah it's fate <laughs> that brought us all together yeah. It, um, yeah, we're yeah. deeply religious. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, fuck. It's been a hell of a journey getting to this point. But I was from Kamloops, and like Dave said, was in a band that opened for these guys when they toured through, and I thought they were great. Didn't think that I'd ever actually be in the band with them, but. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I. Uh, long story short basically ditched everything I had in Kamloops and made the trek down here three and a half years ago and we've just been busting our asses since to try and make a go of it and do this for careers huh. nice yeah yeah I mean okay. for me I was just in a couple garbage bands like throughout my teen years and then yeah you know, garage bands right <laughs> <laughs> yeah give or take a couple letters you know um and then uh seeing the ad on Craigslist and uh you know, applied me and uh, actually I tried out for the first time and you know I just I wasn't quite as experienced enough and you know I had to kind of go away and work a bit and then I tried again a second time email Dave again and uh, mm -hmm. tried out again and well here I am yeah but uh, yeah no before that there wasn't really any band of stature that I was in before that just mm -hmm. you know a couple yeah buddies playing music yeah kind of stuff weekend warrior yeah. styles <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. Been spending the last few years playing with a number of different groups. Been gigging since I was ten or eleven. And, oh uh, wow! <laughs> like Dave mentioned, I had spent a few years, kind of fell into the cover trap a little bit, playing Led Zeppelin material mostly, and a whole mm -hmm. bunch of other '60s and '70s stuff, which yeah, gives you a nice vocabulary, some classic tunes, but gets pretty dry after a while. And I'd been really been looking for a for a killer group to join up with or form or something like that. And 
I've been friends with George for years, and through George met the other guys in the band here. And uh, you know, when I guess they ran into a bit of a pickle and needed a, a sixth-string slinger, it, it made a lot of sense because you know to find uh, a group that has the work ethic and the tunes and and just that kind of dedication to their craft is really hard to find. Well, and the fact that I was yeah. already good friends with them, I mean, couldn't really ask for a better fit. Just yeah, jump right in and uh, good puzzle piece. and hit the road a couple weeks later and. Much rock and roll ensued. <laughs> yeah, didn't have much time to think about it. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of got like tossed into the fire then. Oh yeah. Just like here, let's go tour. Like here's the material. Absolutely. <laughs> we knew who Daniel was, you know. We were yeah. aware of Daniel from the scene. Like said, he was friends with George, and it was only because we knew him that we could make the move that we made made with like four weeks before a tour, and just knowing, yeah, this guy will come in, and he'll just slam it, and it was the best decision we made because proof is in the pudding and we're a better band now so yeah well, right it's, on it's, it's, it's yeah. trust somebody with that short period of time with your sound and to actually like hope that they're actually going to care to represent you well enough and to know that they actually did good enough to want to keep them is awesome right yes yeah. mm. well see the natural ability too is like not trying to not trying to play a role or anything to make the music that we play just, you know, heavy hitting, hard rock and roll. And if you can do it naturally, like Daniel does, mm-hmm. and just fit in, it just seemed to work. Yeah, it's just a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So then, were you guys the four pieces that sort of crafted your first EP or? Well, the EPs go back, like the first EP Ready to Blow Spencer wasn't even in the band at that point. Oh, okay. And so then we finally got a solid nucleus just after that. And mm-hmm. the next EP was obviously the, the most recent lineup until Daniel joined. We recorded that and then went through some, some problems. But uh, so, the two EPs, I guess, are not this lineup. It's the essence of what we do. Okay. And when we play the songs live, well, we're a real live band. To see us live is to see the band in its element. But mm-hmm. we're going to record again because we have it right now. Yeah. And I think what we do, we've done two solid EPs, but now we're ready to do something that'll shake your foundations and really wake people up because we have all the right pieces in place to do something great now. Yeah, okay. So you guys... Like the second EP is that this is what we do, or yeah. is that okay? So you guys worked with Mike Frazier on that, yeah, and the man. Also Danny Craig, who did your first EP. Like what? Mike Frazier's worked with ACDC, The Call, Joe Satriani, Aerosmith, Metallica, <coughs> Boy, Matt Mays, like oh, Aviator Shades, Aviator <laughs> Shades. Like yeah, the list goes on and on. What is it like working with? such a talented level producer and like did he add anything to the group like oh big time well it was really validating that someone like that wanted to get on board and record our music yeah and then and it was a little bit you know we were in, in awe well I was personally to begin with in awe because like I grew up with this guy's name all over my records yeah no and then you're like hold on he's gonna record our band so it was it was awesome but you to get over something as well in a way and get onto those somewhat buddy terms and get into this because if you're going to make a record well you got to be able to hash it out and have your opinion as well mm-hmm. so but yeah having mike come on board was really validating that yeah we're doing something right and then it just made us knuckle down even harder to you know be able to record these songs and write better songs you know we were challenged on a whole new level and pushed yeah. to a place we'd never been mm-hmm. and you know i think the I think it, it bore fruit and it showed us that we are good enough and we are capable and now what can we do next? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys planning on working with them again? Or? I mean, if the opportunity presented itself, we'd be open to it. You know, it all it's all about timing as well and schedules. You take someone like him and who knows what the lineup is for yeah, mixing or recording or whatever. So when we get a record you know, when we get enough songs in shape to make a record, I'm sure we'll have a look what options are on the table. Okay, so you guys are currently in the writing stages then? In the mm-hmm. very early stages of writing okay. some new stuff, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you guys just recently did a run of Western Canada as well, is that correct? We did a Western Canada, and then we went the whole way out to Montreal and back as well. Oh, so. Okay, so you did full Canada too. Yeah, okay. that was the most recent tour that da- Daniel jumped on board for. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we really got to know each other and whether it would work. Mm-hmm. 25 shows in 31 days. Not bad at all. If you're not jelling yeah. by the end of that, it might be time to, to you know, hang it up. <laughs> yeah, so how was the tour overall? Like, did you guys get good reception? Oh, it was very good, yeah. It, uh... 
We played ven mostly venues that were like a decent way of showing what what it is that we do. It's hard to get into a pub where there sound guys telling you to, you know, turn your guitars down and stuff. Where we've got Marshall stacks that's oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they're cranked, you know. So we played mostly venues across Canada that we were able to do that. Okay. Which was good because. Step little, up from the last two. A little more in control of your sound and in your environment. Yeah, and the bands that we played with had draws and stuff like that, so it was usually good turnouts in the rooms, and everyone was very uh, susceptive of what we were playing, and um, sold a lot of <laughs> merch and shit, so it was good. That's good. That's Can't very really good. Can't wish for more than that. It was really cool to go to places like Ottawa and, and Montreal. Well, I've lived in Montreal, so I had friends come out to that one. Yeah. But I guess I'm more so I mean like Ottawa and the places we haven't played and just getting the good reception from like, you know, one of the headlining bands who have their own draw. Um, having mm -hmm. all those people jump on board with what we do was just also really cool just to, you know, have them really react well to, you know, our kind of sound. So. Oh, definitely. It kind of validates that you're acceptable outside of your own scene and that makes you like more comfortable when you get into writing and everything too because you actually know that it's we do have the ability to reach more people and exactly. actually attract more people yeah yeah exactly because you guys do have like a very classic rock sound that is very like attractable and very easy to listen to and catch on to for sure yeah that it's so true because when i when you look at the stats even on our spotify the demographics are spread on because it gives you your age breakdown yeah. and our two strongest areas are like 22 to 33 and then what is it like 55 and over you know <laughs> like they, they're our two strongest areas is kind of like they and it's predominantly male but that's only spotify well but, of course you know it's rock and roll but it's amazing to see the spread and when we play shows we could have some young people come up buy a shirt and be like oh my god you're a rock and roll band that was awesome but then there's the older guys who are like I haven't heard that sound in years. You guys really <laughs> took me back. So, yeah, it's, it's it's been noticeable that our sound appeals to a very widespread. And it's not just specifically rock and rollers. Like, if you came down to one of our shows, you see our, like, especially live, our demographic is really evenly split between male and female at the live show, but old and young as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. I really think there's something about our sound that people are looking for and they don't necessarily realize it until they, they hear us. Well, that's it, is there's kind of a resurgence of that sound sort of going on, but there's still a lot of bands that are unwilling to accept that, and a lot of youth that maybe is missing a lot of that inspiration and music totally. in their lives. So it's it, is to have like someone that is a little more inspired by that like coming in as well, too, kind of like gives the new guys like a little taste of like, okay, like this is something else, like this is where we can go with it. And, exactly, yeah. It, it's uh there's no secret it's just a lot of work you know oh it truly it, is and and that's what i think a lot of bands don't really realize is the amount of work it takes like we've been in a room together for three years bashing it out four nights a week trying to get to a sound that we wanted and writing the last ep and everything but it's an insane amount of work you got to give up a lot to make it happen, and a lot of bands aren't willing to do that. It's well, a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. No beating around the bush. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a highway to hell at times. Oh, it can be a highway to yeah, hell. Absolutely, can. rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Hell's <laughs> bells. And the fact is that you know, if you want to make it, you just got to accept that sometimes you're going to be shot down in flames. <laughs> but if you just make the stage like a live wire, then there's nothing like it. But I guess the key to the message is for those about to rock. We salute you. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and with all that being said, rest in peace, Malcolm Young. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Realistically, yes. yeah. very sad day yeah. in rock and roll. Absolutely, we're losing more and more of them every year, and it's like it's it's no surprise because they're all hitting that age, and I, I they weren't kind of the another reason why this sort of music is making a resurgence is a because bands of that time are starting to start playing again and are actually like working together but we're starting to lose some of those people and mm -hmm. it means that we're starting to lose that sound and that's like maybe making a little people like worried and it's just like where else am i gonna get this yeah aviator shades <laughs> here we are hey, we'll we'll get us. We'll take one stop well, rock and roll said it would inspire more younger acts to really get out there and start making some noise because the old guard is fading away and it's just a 
you know, matter of the procession of time it was going to happen. He had such a huge, huge cultural explosion and so many icons coming out, not even year by year, but month by month from 65 to 75. They're not getting any younger. And like Dave said, a lot of these folks were putting everything they could up their nose and drinking a quart of whiskey a day. And 40 years later, it's going to catch up with you. And I really hope that, that watching these brilliant legacy acts that are still managing to pack arenas um, and watching them fading away will we'll hopefully get more people out there cranking up their amps and and realizing that they're going to have to keep the torch lit. Yeah. Well, it's that's some, what we're doing. It definitely does have to because unfortunately like with losing part of the old guard we're losing like you lose a lot of your festival headliners, you lose a lot of the people that are keeping it going like for the older folks and it's it is it's once you lose that, like, that's something special. That's an entire time. That's an entire generation. And to lose that is terrible. So it's it. It's like you need bands to kind of keep that vision and that message alive. It's mm-hmm. like it's always good to, like, progress things and move things forward. But it's it. It's like rock and roll isn't dead. No. By any means. It's a it's, lot of people try and claim it is, but. Well, it's certainly moved from the arena and stadium stages into smaller venues. I think largely over the last 30 years that's been of musicians choosing. I do think that, that the, the want to be a, a rock star or, or even be a Bruce Springsteen that can command a stadium audience has moved on to, to rap and pop. And, and there are very few modern rock stars that can really take, you know, take playing that role and move it out of the 70s. You know, there's Matt Bellamy from Muse and there's a few of those guys that can really make it work. But... but I do think that there's largely been a reason since grunge why rock hasn't filled stadium stages and it is great to see a lot of terrific new bands coming out that you really can picture on a huge stage and see headlining a festival and mm-hmm. just be willing to take up that mantle. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's hard to make the transition because it's it. It's, like, it's hard to make the transition from being like a local band to a touring band and then making the transition from a bar band or a pub band to a stadium band too is it's like the entire like the crowd you're trying to reach is so much different so keeping that crowd like in tune and like contacted to what you're doing is really hard that and i think rock has kind of like learned from a lot of its mistakes where you still see a lot of rappers and like edm artists and everything else they're out there they're partying they're using their bodies and like they're not looking at rock and roll like the way like you guys are and saying like well these guys are dying at like 60 and it's it is like they're going out that the way that they wanted to but it's it is like they're going out hard and they're going out fast yeah and young Mm -hmm. exactly like a lot of them didn't have to go even at 60 or 50 like yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I guess a lot of the new artists don't like when you the genres you reference. They don't have hindsight to go with because if you're into rap and pop, you're not necessarily looking at the old rock catalog. And maybe some people well, are. What acts had the mainstay in those genres to actually stay around that long and still be packing stadiums for that long? Because like those genres have such a quicker revolving door. Yeah. Of, There's a lot more disposable. Like, who's there and like people's careers seem to be so much shorter that it's it is like they just use it up so fast and they just burn out and it's it is like and then like you're starting to see like a lot of those artists are starting to die in their 20s and whatnot like they were starting to do in the 90s with like Kurt Cobain the girl from Hole like there was a lot of artists that like I can't remember her name no that's awesome that's great Uh, Courtney Love no, the other one. Like, oh, brilliant! The, okay, all right. No, there was another girl in Hole who died. Okay, oh. yeah, like exact same age. Suicide, that, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. For a second, yeah, I thought you were like referring to Courtney Love as that girl from Hole, and I thought that was the most fucking awesome thing. Oh that. no, I, 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 don't, I'm, I don't show much respect for Courtney Love <laughs> anyway. I just can't remember the name of the other girl because I think it was the bassist of Hole ended up dying when she was 28 too because she was like addicted to heroin and just like this before just Melissa Oftermar really was that her name? Sorry, I know one bass player from Hole. I can't remember. All I remember is like one of the other members of Hole like ended up like re- really heavy on the heroin after like Kurt Cobain died and she was also like really good friends with him and I think she ended up committing suicide. Yikes. Heavy stuff. The sky will get you. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it. Is like rock. Rock and roll's a rough business, and it's you got to learn from the mistakes of other people. It depends <laughs> on your personality as well. You know, 
Like, if you're open to the party and you're easily led and you want to have a good time, well, there's plenty of opportunities to have a good oh. time. Yeah, it definitely just, is. What's your answer, yes or no? <clears throat> and there's also that fight of always wanting more. It's like, for us, I know that we are always way further ahead in our minds to where we want to be than where we are right now. Yeah. So it's hard to appreciate where you are right now because you're, whatever, two years ahead in your head of where you want to be. But yeah. And that's it's that fight that, you know, is very frustrating and very hard to deal with at times when you want so much more than you have, you know? Oh, and, truly. And a lot of, I know a lot of musicians that get caught up in that. And, you know, especially when you're touring and stuff like that, when you're on it every night, you have to be healthy and eating well and sleeping and not partying and... Some of those people party, and every night it's like you need some wake-me-ups and stuff to get on that stage and deliver, and that's slippery slope. Oh, it truly is, because you're surrounded by people who are constantly doing it themselves, and it's it. It's like you're doing late nights, early mornings, always on the road, and it's like finding good food and healthy food is hard. It's <laughs> Yeah, and, and when you're essentially the life of the party... Oh, exactly. People right? want to buy you Everybody shots and wants drinks. to party with you. Yeah, it's a one mm. night out of the whatever three weeks that they've been looking forward to that. Exactly. But, but for you, that's been. Yeah, five we just did this yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's hard too, like getting my friends out to shows and stuff where I've got them out to a few and then it's like now they know that I'm going to be busy with work. It's not a party anymore. So it's like. <laughs> You know, I'd love to, yeah, have that shot and beer with you guys, but I got a shitload of drum stuff to tear down, and it's going to take me the rest of the time that you guys want to drink, so... Plus the backup drummer stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah definitely. I don't know why the lead, why the rhythm drummer isn't the guy tearing down everything, right? Yeah, he should like, be. You gotta, he gets to play all the fills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the agreement. You gotta yeah. play more drums so you tear it all down. Yeah, exactly. He gets to sit and talk to all the girls. <laughs> wherever, wherever that bastard is. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking guy didn't even show up for this. Yeah, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. He's tearing that drum somewhere. He doesn't show up for the fan photos. Doesn't show up for music videos. Yeah. Like, like, why do we even bring that guy? Yeah. yeah. Damn Amazing you guys keep him around. He must be like a class act. Well, he's got a hell of a meter. <laughs> yeah. I bet you right now he's down in the room actually practicing. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. By far the best parallel parker out of the bunch of us as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we keep arc. him around. Just for that. It's very hard to park touring vans, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. okay, I, you I wouldn't know, I just let Spencer do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have like a favorite song from your catalog that you like? One that maybe means the most to you, or one that you enjoy playing the most live, or... I get a kick out of, like, all, not to, you know, just, oh, I love all our songs, but our songs are pretty diverse, and each one has its own kind of thing going on, so at any given... On any given night, I could be into any of them, depending on the vibe the band will, will capture. I think, you know, something like Voodoo or Burn It Down off the new record, I really like, for sure, if you were to force me into it. But, I, you know, I don't like to write, well, I can't speak for the whole band, but I, I like to think the songs that we move forward with and play are songs that we're all into, and I get a kick out of, out of any of them. Especially when you're involved in the process of starting it to bringing it to life and recording it and then playing it live. Yeah. So yeah, not to give you a bad answer, but you know, I dig playing all of them really. Well, it's it's a hard question to answer, right? Because it's like asking you which one of your children do you love the most. Right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I guess they're all unique in their own way. The songs from playing them live to listening to them after a little burn, you know, mm -hmm. and hearing where they take you. Every time I feel like I listen to them, I. I listen, I get one step further away from actually being in that process of writing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, I'm. St it's still pretty soon after the process, so I still feel all those um, emotions of, like, what it was like to work on it and should I have used that fill and that stuff. It's all kind of just starting to get away, and it is what it is now, and I can listen to it for what it is. Yeah. But uh, I think Voodoo... There's something special there in that song. Um, it hasn't been released as a single mm -hmm. yet, 
and I don't know. I think I'm kind of excited to see where it go. It can go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's no, a good track. I was listening to the new EP on the way up, and it sounds really good, guys. Like I enjoyed it a lot. Cheers, man. Cheers. I mean, uh, I mean, for me, I'm my influences are a lot more like airborne, like heavier stuff. Nice, like faster, like so. I guess my go-tos as far as our catalog would be would be like burn, ready to blow, be somebody. Mm-hmm. But then I do have my time, like times where I'm like, don't leave me now or moonlight. You know what I mean? So um, those emotional times. Those emotional <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just gotta get real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to sound, not to copy Dave, but I do like them all. But yeah. I mean, like my my go-tos would be like the faster stuff because I just have that kind of an influence. Mm-hmm. I do like more heavier music. Typically, so okay, yeah. I would have to say my my two were probably freedom lies bleeding. If I was gonna sit somebody down in front of a stereo and say, "This is Aviator Shades," check it out. I'd probably crank up freedom lies bleeding. Mm-hmm. My favorite tune to play is probably "Babe Don't Leave Me Now." Just love this song. It's yeah. got, a, got a really cool verse progression and just a, a nice kind of a nice spin <coughs> on, on heavy blues, but doesn't feel like a pastiche. I find a lot of bands will go and they'll make a, a blues rock song and it yeah, you know, I'm certainly guilty of it myself. It sounds like they're trying to sound like Zeppelin or something like that. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like that tune has, a, has very nicely brought a heavy blues into the, the present day. Hmm. Okay. Good answer. Yeah, yes. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so you guys actually released a music video for Freedom Lies Bleeding recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who did you work with for that, and what was it like shooting it? Well, we did uh, did the video with Dave Benedict from, uh, he was a bass player from Default. Oh, okay. He, uh, he's he been doing photography and cinematography and stuff for the last few years since Default's been quiet because Dallas Smith is off headlining stadiums on his own. Uh, yeah, he's going to be uh, playing the Sandman Center in Kamloops pretty soon. It's... Uh, yeah, he did. He just did this yeah. week. Yeah. Oh yeah, he just did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it. It's like it's amazing how he's done with the whole country music. Yeah, scene. he's doing very well for himself. Mm-hmm. Quite impressive. And uh, Danny Craig, also from Default. Yeah. He's a drummer. He's who produced the album and everything. Yeah. So you did on both your EPs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've basically got the Default boys helping us through. Nice. And uh, but yeah. Dave Benedict, he did all the artwork for Ready to Blow and the very first video, Who Do You Think You Are? So we've known yeah. him for a few years, and he's just a good bud. So it's pretty easy to work with. Okay, a good relationship, and you yeah. guys like his product? Yeah, he likes his product. I mean, <laughs> he's definitely got his own vision, so we got to work with him on that. But, you know, we just we find a happy medium and pull the best of our ideas together, and yeah. it usually turns out pretty good. Well, of course, it's his, the cinematographer, he has a certain eye for things, and as the band, you have a certain way you sort of see your vision as well, right? Exactly, and it's mm-hmm. seeing eye to eye on that sometimes when you have two different visions, it's, you gotta kinda be stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> be stubborn and compromise to each other's vision and meet in the middle somewhere. Okay. You know? Mm. But, yeah. Nice. We uh, plan on doing another one here for Voodoo. No, uh, no dates or anything mm-hmm. set up, but to be announced. So we so. can expect that as a single in the future, then. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Well, yeah. The EP is going to have a cycle, so even while we're working on writing something else, there's material there to be put out. You know, you don't know which song catches someone's ear. Who, who's ear you haven't caught before and it's not till you put that one out but maybe they're not drawn to the rest of it well it's sometimes it's the song you think is the least likely to break big too right or yeah, yeah exactly sometimes that just hits where it's like some bands I know that I've talked to will say like it's always the song that like we never expect to play and the song we like don't like playing the least and so it's just like ends up being our most popular song and we always have to play it yeah <laughs> exactly well, John Bon Jovi didn't even want Living on a Prayer uh, in the Slippery Woman Wet album he didn't like it they'd sit him down and talk talk to him and be like John I think there's something here <laughs> you know I'm sure he looks back and goes shit wow <laughs> <laughs> they talked me out of that one yeah <laughs> but I, I don't know I, I'd 
myself personally, I'd go each song a single. Why not? You know, on the EP and try mm-hmm. and make a go of it. We got six songs that we spent a lot of time writing and working on, and Mike Fraser obviously killed it with the mixing and mastering or uh, and whatnot. So I'd be I'd be happy to try and take each one for a single, mm-hmm. but try and see the potential of it. Yeah, but it's just a matter of you know doing it it all each time you do it you gotta make a video and go to radio and everything so it's a lot of work hmm. yeah of course it's you gotta shop it out yeah so this thing is an independent band as well you know there's no no label just you know pumping money into it so you gotta find the means to do it yourself so mm-hmm. now that's the challenge too mm-hmm. yeah the desert tiger podcast Difficulties of being uh, DIY. 
band. Oh, just trying to get on bigger tours and you know competing with bands that are not necessarily better than us but have more financial clout and the right people <laughs> backing them mm-hmm. when they bring a song in so you know you're working on two different idioms and you got to move into that 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 other area or at least find someone who's going to back you into that area uh, to to really compete with those bands that are you know getting these bigger tour slots and getting these radio slots because I mean if you can get one of those tours or you can get your song added across the country uh, it's going to do a massive amount for your band I mean the radio is still where people find a lot of their new music Mm -hmm. and you know if you can get on front of a band say like I don't know Monster Truck you're going to hit your target demo who are looking for that style of music well, it's it is it's like when they hit like nobody in Canada was really like playing that like style of music on the radio. So it's it like it kind of caught everybody off guard and really caught their ears. Where it's like, oh wow, like what is this? Yeah, <laughs> same as the Sheepdogs. They kind of had their own thing come through, and the uh, I guess early two thousand, late two thousand. Early 2010s. Yeah, early yeah. 2010s. Yeah. Burn Burn was 2011, I think. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what. Um, but yeah, it's just having that kind of sound, uh, in individual sound, you know, that mm-hmm. people can be like, I haven't heard this before, and then have them dig in and look it up. Yeah. And some great tunes help as well. Of course. <laughs> if you look at both those bands, some yeah. of the songs were just Of course, they killer. write amazing music, so you can't hold that past them at all. No. Okay, no. so you guys have toured a little bit on the road. Do you guys have any good road stories? Maybe some good experiences, maybe some bad experiences, maybe some favorite places to play? <sighs> on the spot. Yeah, there was yeah. the there was the haunting in Swift Current, that's a good one. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. There was some tomfoolery hmm. when we stayed in Swift Current. We were staying in this really, really old building. Uh, you know, it wouldn't take much to convince you the place might be haunted. Yeah. But you know, Daniel was at play. I was. When, when yeah. we uh, when <laughs> we got the master key. <laughs> when uh, when we got there, there was a room upstairs that was open, and there was a uh, like furniture all over, and there was a TV in there. And I remember Dan saying to me. Every time I walk by that room, the TV's been on and then off and then on and off and I don't know, whatever. Like I snow. Won't. It was like <laughs> yeah. the snow experience. No, it was yeah. just a normal TV at first. I was the one that unplugged the cable box. I, I turned it into static. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I didn't think too much of it because every time I walked by, a TV was off and whatever. And it was a few days into our stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having a couple drinks one night, and I go upstairs to charge my cell phone or whatever. And I walk past the room, and TV's on. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is interesting. Go to my room and didn't think anything of it. And uh, I always leave the light on in my room and mm-hmm. I've never used the TV, not once, right? Yeah. Lock my room standard. Go downstairs, tell the guys, TV was on. That was weird. Oh, and I turned the TV off when I went back by it. I'm like, oh, that's weird. So anyways, I go to the washroom or whatever. And mm-hmm. then I decide to go and get my phone from upstairs. Yeah. Walk past the room again. TV's on again. <laughs> then I open my room and the light's off and the TV's on. And I'm like, okay, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and I go downstairs like a little schoolgirl, like, guys. Uh, <laughs> but you weren't scared, right? No, I wasn't scared. <laughs> uh, I didn't come to you guys because I was scared. I just came to you because it was a good story, right? Yeah, 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 I'm totally not scared, though. Guys, like, seriously, like, I don't know what's going on. It's in my room now, whatever it is. So, anyways, they're like, come, let's go upstairs. we got to see this. And we go upstairs, and Dan's like, holds me back. He's like, wait, I better open it first. And I'm like, what does he mean? Pulls a key out of his pocket, opens the room, and I'm like, oh. It was so well engineered, though. Like, yeah. the, the three minutes to tell you about it does not do justice to the work that went into the build-up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a two-day process. So. Oh, no doubt. Like, a lot of mind games. Yeah. 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 The amount of work that goes into that, right? Oh, yeah. and he never, Dan nearly gave in, because I was, you know, he was like, yeah, you know I have a master key, right? And I'm like, What? And then he's like, yeah, we're just fucking with you. And then I was like, what? He's like, no, I don't have a master key. Come on. <laughs> Why would I have a master key? Kevin, then he took it back. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to have a master key. Anyways, and then the next day was when they pulled this huge prank on me. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was good. a good moment. We had a few down days, and that was definitely 
entertaining. Nice. Yeah. And of course, two of us won a hundred plus bucks on the old BLTs. So Ooh. not bad. Not bad. That was a, that was a good time. I yeah. was not one of those people, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, played some video poker. I mean, don't usually gamble, but uh, <laughs> had some downtime and. Turned what ten bucks into hundred and five. Do you know what the hit the jukebox was, right? for a while? Listen to some Jerry Reed. Hit a piano. Played some Alicia Keys. It was a good time. But here's what you need to know about this hundred bucks. I had been pumping those machines, and I finally got my money back. Right, I, I put about forty in, and then the night before, I had had about hundred and twenty-eight bucks come back from them. So I covered myself, and I was up. I was down playing the next morning, and Daniel was talking to me about it, and he was like, "Oh, which machine have you been playing?" I was like, "This one here." And he was like, oh, all right, well, whenever, whenever you're done there, I'll have a go. I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> but I was like, hardly, no, it would never happen. It would never happen. Yeah. And I had five bucks in my, like, I'd been playing. My money had run out. I had five bucks, and I was going to go again. And I was like, you don't need to hog the machine. You don't need to do this. He sits down, puts in ten, about three hands later, boom, ding, 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 ding. Hundred bucks come back. I was like, oh, my God. Thanks, Dave. But he is a champ, and he gave us all five bucks to try and uh, go win some back. And if I hadn't have won the night before, I probably wouldn't tell that story with as big a smile and a laugh as I tell it right now, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but he's a clever man, that Daniel. Making me out to be a real schemer here. No, not a schemer at all. No, let's go on record. Dan is a good guy, but that was a clever maneuver. And, you know, maybe the stars aligned, but there was there was some decent logic behind it. Yeah, well, it was, either, sure. it was either Dan or another Swift Current that was going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. Swift Current. Deborah, Current? how would you say that? Swift Current, Dan? Swift Currians. Swift Currients? Swift Currites? I had some Currients. Swift Currites? <laughs> <laughs> I had a Curry. Swift Current. That's uh, Korma? No, I had a Curry at the Chinese. The Chinese buffet. Oh, of the road. okay. It was called Spice. I got some Vindaloo. Casey's Chinese. It was definitely a Canadian spin on Chinese food, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, Prairie Chinese is its own thing. Prairie (laughs) Chinese is, it's like almost every small town has like. That Chinese place? Yeah, exactly. Or it's like every every one or like every third town has like that Chinese place where it's just Prairie Chinese food. Just like, I, I don't know how these guys survive, but somehow, somehow they stay alive. It's prairie good. It's the wonton. <laughs> Honestly, it's the wonton. Very consistent wonton. Wonton yeah. is amazing. It's, so. it's a, it's a fail safe. And every once in a while, you hit a rose town or somewhere like that, and mm-hmm. you get a wonton that just throws down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is how you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I went very gourmet with my food choices. Like, I really went out there. I got a chicken bacon ranch wrap from Tim Hortons. Ooh. (laughs) Pretty pretty sure George has tried the chicken bacon ranch wrap in every Hortons across the country. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know. Hey, no regret. Come on, man. He knows what he he wants. wants. (laughs) Well, sometimes that's a good thing, right? Yeah. All right, so we've talked that you guys have a future album possibly in the works. We've talked that, talked that you guys are maybe making another video. What else is in the future for Aviator Shades? World Lots of explosions. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely more tour. In the short term, probably put out Voodoo, like we were saying. We'll definitely tour Western Canada again. And, you know, we've got some things that we're, we're working on. We'd like to move into that, that bigger league, but, you know, the opportunity yeah. needs to present itself. So... We'll keep uh, keep on swinging until that opportunity comes around and work with what we have. But yeah, definitely a new record and bigger venues and bigger tours is what we'd ideally like to see in our future. And getting into uh, the USA and Europe would definitely be on our uh, high goals. I think you guys could do good with your sound in UK if marketed properly yeah. and done with the right bands. Well, that's where it comes from, I guess, because Tin Lizzy were a huge influence on, on what we were doing, and I come from Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Yeah, I, I definitely think Europe is the stronghold. Canada was super strong for a long time. The radio was mm-hmm. backing up, but Europe seems to have its own more organic reach, and people are still going out and finding it themselves. So I think mm-hmm. for a band like us, Europe should be destination number one. Yeah. You know? And there's talk of recording an album in Ireland. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah. Bring it on home, huh? Mm-hmm. Which I think would add some nice spice to the whole yeah, no, to the definitely. whole story, you know. Add a little bit of Irish taste to the album. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Just get a march in there and hit record, <laughs> make a record, <laughs> and set some records. <laughs> to be sure, to be sure. We really have Irish guy. You don't need to. <laughs> He's, He's more Irish than I did. <laughs> Just ready to go. Yeah. Okay, so we've already touched a little bit on ACDC, but like, what are some of your guys' like high school idols, your inspirations in your music? Like, who got you through? Like, who was your soundtrack to like growing up? Soundtrack to my life. If I, I'll give you three, it's been Tin Lizzy, obviously. Queen are major for me. They were the first band I ever got into. The reason I wanted to play in a band was really? just watching Queen and Brian May and Freddie Mercury doing their thing. You know, they just stood out. Great tunes. And then the Eagles played a massive part. Well, when I moved to Vancouver and started uh, dabbling in some of BC's finest greenery, the Eagles started <laughs> to make a whole ton of sense Those harmonies just start sounding so yeah. silky that's yeah. it exactly yeah, we have good oregano sense. here because my girlfriend is always just like I don't understand the eagles and it's like it's just, you, you just don't understand baby <laughs> yeah, but, you, know, you should just be like smoke this and put on one of these nights and then be like now tell me you don't that's understand that's one of my favorite eagles. smoking songs oh, exactly. yeah, that, was, that was what got me going I was here and I hadn't really dabbled in Pot. I don't know if we can say pot in your podcast, but I mean, it's out oh, there man, now. we've already sworn. Like, <laughs> actually, I just did an interview with a comedian where we started off the interview talking about like bad salvia trips. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've had a bad one too. Yeah, <laughs> that's no fun. That shit. Oh my god, it's yeah. one of those things you just do for the sake of like, just it's like licking a nine volt battery. You just. <laughs> You just want to know. I just want to find out what happens, and then, like, after it's done, it's just like you have a really sour taste in your mouth. It's just like, okay. I could have gone without that. that so. <laughs> yeah. What, the licking of the battery or the salvia? Both. Both. <laughs> yeah. Both. Both leave you with a bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> no, dirt. Yeah. Wow, from our influences to Salvia, that took a serious turn. Get eh? <laughs> <laughs> real deep here. But they would be back. Lizzie, Queen, the Eagles, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah, it's hard when someone asks me that question because I've, I've, like, for the last eight years had, like, 20,000 songs on my iPod. Yeah. So I like and, li- I like and listen to basically anything. Um, but my main influences that got me into becoming a musician was definitely Rush, Neil Peart on drums. My mom showed me some videos of him and that's what made me really get started. But then I like listening to modern music for the production Yeah. and how, you know, I like it when a, a band can sound real and big as a bus, you know, like Monster Truck, for example. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that's why I like listening to modern music and I like listening to classic rock because it's got that it might not be as punchy like Neil Young but it's that soulful real songwriters kind of thing where like Tom Petty I'd say is my biggest influence Mm -hmm. as a songwriter and a lyricist and musician but yeah Neil Young Rush Thin Lizzy, (laughs) I love it all for what it is. Different days, I listen to different stuff. So yeah, of course. But different days, you wear different socks. I know. (laughs) He's not good at matching his socks, apparently. Not even like one's an ankle sock and one's. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get more abstract than that, really. I'm really regretting the rights. Whoever ends up listening to this podcast on the floor, (laughs) modern art. Can can you tell that I'm straight? Place your feet in the sign of a genius, though, right? You know that that eccentric streak. Oh, don't (laughs) close ego up even more. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for me, my influences kind of went back and forth too. I. When I was a kid, I liked Sum 41 and Linkin Park and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then I saw my first live band. It was just a classic rock band playing in a bar. And then I got into like Tom Petty, the Rolling Stones, CCR, Neil Young, and all that kind of thing. Then I had a friend introduce me to Joe Satriani. And then as a oh. result, I piggybacked over to Steve Vai. And he, used to, he was a big influence for me for a while. And then... Uh, after smoking uh, pop for the first time, I had a huge Pink Floyd phase. I won 
yeah. You never hear of that, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a huge Pink Floyd phase, and then um, then Dave got me into White Snake at one point, and then mm-hmm. then I got into Monster Truck through being in this band, and now Monster Truck's probably my my go-to for like need my rock and roll injection for the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's my kind of go-to pump-up kind of stuff, and now from there, Airborne, ACDC, mm-hmm. and especially Thin Lizzy. We have a huge Thin Lizzy influence in our band. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've kind of just gone across the board with several different influences. I'll still listen to Sum 41 to this day, but I'll also, you know, listen to all the classic stuff, you know. Macarena, it's spread across the board. <laughs> <laughs> George could be horns out, rocking out, or, you know, maybe he's at the back of the room. <laughs> For anyone who can't see that, I'm doing the Macarena right now. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I, uh, first concert I ever saw, I was five years old, I wanted to see Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, and, and wow. all I remember thinking was, got some great songs, and fuck, the man's got some really cool white python boots. <laughs> and uh, and from there, got into ACDC. Mm-hmm. ACDC came to Rush, saw them both when I was eight or nine years old, which really, really blew my mind. And actually, seeing Rush on the Paper Trails tour there, we had been, um, they bumped us up to seats right behind the sound booth, and during the intermission, one of the roadies came up and gave a, a broken bear and Neil Peart drumsticks and a bunch of Alex Lyson guitar picks, and... You know, that wasn't going to turn a nine-year-old into a, a mega fan. I don't think anything would have. Yeah. So I went home and just got hooked. And I suppose from there to, to try and draw a line to my influence, it kind of went to, had a bit of a grunge phase, but got real into fusion and Mahavishnu and tons of Jeff Beck. I mean, he's probably my favorite guitar player uh, through the big band stuff, Benny Goodman, Dave Brubeck, and got a little bit more into rock and roll again and got into the Deep Purple and, mm-hmm. and everything. And it's really stayed kind of, Pre eighty two. I mean, there's a lot of new bands where I, I love the songs, but I just it doesn't feel live enough. Yeah. Maybe there's too much punch, um, and finding that balance between having a great crisp modern recording and that nice analog warmth is uh, is a, a hazy line to walk. I think it's really but hard to like, especially in these days, to like get that. Sorry, to get that energy from say like an older song would have or that soul that you feel through recording it because like a lot of music these days is like just feels overproduced i think to me the absolute paramount of finding that balance would be tom betty's 2010 heartbreakers album mojo Mm -hmm. um i i can't personally think of another modern album that uh, that sounds as crisp and clean and sounds very live and warm at the same time. Yeah, um, you can yeah, yeah, you can hear that. that there's there's not many comps and there's no need to be, and it's just a, a terrifically engineered album. I think Rock or Bust is up there. Black Ice. Hell yeah. CDC. It was, but I hear what you're saying totally. All right, I have to get going right away soon. So I got one more question for you guys. In the spirit of Malcolm Young. What is each of your favorite ACDC songs? Uh, the song that got me hooked on ACDC was You Shook Me All Night Long. So yeah. I'll, I'll put that one down. Okay. That was one of my uh, my first favorites too, but I'd say for now it's probably Dirty Deeds, Dunder, Cheap, or... Uh... Yeah, I'll probably go with that one. <laughs> I think you probably touched too much. Mm. Killer. I got to be rock. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, good one, one too. There's just a plethora. We could just oh, keep naming them. I know. Oh, ACDC's yeah. got so oh, much one, good one, shit. One of my favorites to play is probably Beating Around the Bush. Mm-hmm. I think it's got a. It's all the riffs almost like Fleetwood Mac's Oh Well sped up twice. Yeah. Have a it's drink a, on It's terrifically me. fun to play. That's a fucking great. Oh, yeah, the one I was thinking about was For Those About to Rock. Mm hmm. For Those About to Rock. Too. is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I love that song. When I seen them here two years ago on their last tour. I just smashed some herb and Hell's Bells came on oh, and it was one of the greatest grooves I've ever experienced. So, anyway, you could yeah. go on. By the way, I hope you don't think we smoke pot or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we inject it. I think it was, I think it was have, have a drink on me from that show. Yeah. The way he played that riff and just, uh, that was, that's probably my favorite. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Hey, today. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks for having us. It's a lot of fun at all. Yeah. So we'll see you on the fifteenth, yeah. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Right on. Yeah. All right. I want to give a huge, a big, a massive 
Shout out to Spencer, Daniel, George, and Dave of Aviator Shades for joining me here on the Desert Tiger Podcast and for taking time out of their busy practice schedule to give me a fantastic interview. If you enjoyed what you heard during this podcast, you can find Aviator Shades on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can find their newest music video for Freedom Lies Bleeding, which was the song we played during the middle of the show on YouTube. You can also find their newest EP, This Is What We Do, as well as their old EP, Ready to Blow, on Spotify, as well as other places where you can pick up your music, such as iTunes. And I suggest that you definitely do that and check these guys out. Alright, I also want to thank you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Wherever you're listening from and whatever you're listening on, we are so thankful, so happy to have you tuning in. And it just makes us giddy, makes us jump up and down with excitement. So keep on tuning in. If you're one of the people that has subscribed, rated, or reviewed the show, thank you so much for doing so. If you haven't hit that subscribe button so far, what are you waiting for? Join along for the ride, because we have a lot of stories to tell in the future. Alright, make sure to tune in next week when I talk to Paul and Dan of Canadian Celtic punk rock band, The Real Mackenzies. That's right, storied Western Canadian Celtic punk rock band that started in 1992, The Real Mackenzies. We sat down and talked with Paul and Dan for a short period of time, and we couldn't be more excited to bring you what they had to say. And as always, you know that we need to leave you with a quote here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. Our quote for today comes to us from the recently deceased Malcolm Young, rhythm guitarist of ACDC. When we started out, everyone said we should smarten ourselves up and be more like Led Zeppelin. Then we got to Britain and they told us we should be more like the Sex Pistols. Then it was Metallica and then Nirvana. We always had the same answer to all of them. Sorry, mate. Not interested. We're ACDC, and we think they should all be more like us. No matter who is telling you that you should be different, or should change, or should be like somebody else, remember that you are you, and you are the only you. And that is not only special, but that is beautiful. So not only embrace it, but use it to the best of your ability, and do the most that you can with it. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.